going to ask Adam Verheid if he would come and he would read to you from uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 45. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there this morning? Mark chapter 1, as we talk about moment, the momentum of hope. Thank you, sir. Let me get you a microphone. <laughs> okay, there for the online people. There we go. Perfect. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then he felt her, or then he left her and prepared, then she left her and prepared a meal for them. That evening, after after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to see him. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much. Uh, Just before we get into the message, I want to welcome a couple of groups of people. First of all, Tatiana, will you just wave? Tatiana is brand new to Canada. She comes from the Ukraine. She's been here for 10 to 11 days. So good to have you. A Canadian welcome. Welcome to our place. And it's so nice to have you here. And uh, there's a large delegation from Teen Challenge here today. So good to have you guys here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, There's an evangelist in the midst of you. He started before Christmas, and it's just growing. It's nice to have you folks. We're in Mark chapter 1, Momentum of Hope. Everything that Jesus does in the Gospel of Mark is being watched and being scrutinized. The religious establishment is is jealous of his power and of his influence and popularity, and they're wanting him to mess up. They're watching for him to mess up. Break one of the laws of Moses so that they can expose him as a fraud and that they can crush his popularity. People who have heard of his authoritative teaching and of his demonstration of power and deliverance are are hoping that he might see them, might solve their problems, might bring an answer to the complex, difficult situations that they face. However, Jesus has started this school of supernatural ministry. And and he's starting to gather around him people that he will train and that he will release to replace him at the proper time here on earth. Last week we spoke about the call that he he extended to Simon and his brother Andrew and to James and John, fishermen who, who left everything behind and dropped it all in order to follow him. With this promise, this transformational promise, if you follow me, I will transform you from gatherers of fish to gatherers of men. Come, follow me. Watch what I do, Jesus said. Understand why I do it. Learn to do it exactly as I do it. And so every time he speaks, each each and every time he acts, it's it's a a lesson to the students who will carry on the work of the kingdom after he has left. How he speaks 
the way that he thinks, the things that he does in public, the the practices that he has in, in private. Come, follow me, do as I do. That insight and those lessons are not just for fishermen long ago. These are for you and for me. He's teaching us how to live, how to react, how to carry out the good news of the gospel. Last week we were at the temple and, and, and at the synagogue, and immediately after leaving the synagogue in this small town of Capernaum, where, where he brought freedom to this demon-possessed man, Jesus goes with the men back to Simon's house for a meal. For a meal and to sit down around the table and to talk about what come follow me really entails. This house of Simon's would, would become something of a headquarters for Jesus when he's in that area. And, and they arrive at Simon's house and it's discovered that there's a problem in the house. Not a big problem, but a problem. Simon's mother-in-law is ill. She's confined to bed with with a high fever, and, and they've not been able to bring the fever down, back to normal. But it's just a fever. It's not leprosy. It's, it's not a permanent disability. It's not a life-threatening disease. It's, it's a simple fever. We've all had them. And it will most likely break sooner or later, It's not a normal situation in the home, but it's not a crisis either. And so Jesus goes to the woman's bedside, and and he doesn't say a word. He he simply takes her by the hand, and, and, and he helps her sit up. And there's no powerful declaration of faith. There There's no anointing oil. There's no forgiveness of sins. Just the powerful, peaceful presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus changes things, makes a difference everywhere that it's acknowledged and felt. And that was all that was needed. The, The woman instantly experiences normal temperatures. There's no lingering of weakness. There's no difficulty with with balance. In fact, she gets up immediately and she starts to prepare a meal for her son-in-law and for his guests. I love what this tells us about the ministry and about Jesus. In view of what you're going through, a fever might not appear to be important or worth spending much time or attention on. But to that household... To that family, to that woman, it was a concern. And to Jesus, it was important enough to take time to help restore health and order to the house. If it's important to you, you need to know it's important to him. If it's important to you, it's important to him. I love that Jesus starts the training here with a fever. He doesn't take them to a tomb and say to them, I want you to call forth the dead. If you can do that, you can do anything. He doesn't start at the most difficult end of the spectrum. He starts where they are. The scripture says to you and to me, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Jesus starts with us where we are, and he grows us, line by line, precept upon precept. I'm so glad that when when God called me, he he didn't let me practice, didn't let me grow in a very public arena. He he had me practice out of sight, and, and away from attention. I, I'm so glad that he didn't raise me in an era where, where social media was available so I could boast of my triumphs and sanitize and minimize my failures online. He, he let me grow up and develop in a very private, unnoticeable, 
unknown place where, where he personally could oversee my development and, and put me in touch with the, a few trusted mentors and teachers who, who could encourage, who could correct, who could enhance and explain what I was seeing, how I was feeling, what I was experiencing. He, he did a lot of work with me at home where nobody could see, and not in front of groups and crowds. Please, followers of Jesus, who are getting ready for what God is wanting to do in you and through you, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not run to get into the spotlight. Do not boast of your victories or despair in your mistakes. He's not just building a ministry. He's constructing character. He's transforming your mind. He's softening your heart. He's teaching you his ways and showing you his paths. He wants you to Come and follow him. Learn who he is and what and why he does what he does. Do not ever despise where God has you and what God is teaching you there. He knows what he's doing and he knows what you need where you're at. Between the man who was set free of the demon at the synagogue where we were last week and and the news of Simon's mother-in-law who had been sick, but Jesus came and now she's getting a meal together, news spread like wildfire throughout the town. And, And apparently they'd not seen anything like this before and they... They quickly heard of it, and they quickly responded. They ran to where he was. He was the talk of that little village. And and, and the story of what Jesus had done, what Jesus was doing for you, that's an important story. Because where you live, where you work, where you're being watched, you are surrounded by people who are looking for some kind of hope looking for help with the the struggles that they're going through and that they face. By by the time the evening meal at Simon's house is complete, the neighborhood around his house has become quite congested. It says in verse 32 that that evening after sunset, many sick, many demon-possessed people were brought to stand out in the yard waiting for Jesus. People who had tried every avenue of help had looked for support that was available to them and had not found relief for themselves or for their loved ones, had found out where Jesus was and and they were waiting outside the house for him to come out so that he could help them too, like he had helped the man at the synagogue, like he had helped Peter's mother-in-law. Mark records that there were many people gathered there. A little town like Capernaum, I don't know how many, many is, but for them, it seemed like a lot. Some were sick physically. Some had brought their parents, their children. Some were demon-possessed, and somebody got a hold of them and brought them to the yard. When you've been told that there is nothing more that we can do, There's a desperation that comes on you. There's there's a panic. You're you're, you're willing to try almost anything and everything. Go anywhere that is required if if it will give you relief. You're, You're willing to stand outside a house to see the man that's been giving hope to people who live in the town where you reside. The story that is yours told to the people who have gone through or experiencing their own living hell, causes hope to grow in the most unusual places. It's a sign that perhaps all the doors that have been slamming shut in their situation, maybe there is still another door. 
people that look like they have it all together, people who appear to be good, decent families are showing up with their private struggles on Simon's front yard, hoping against hope that Jesus will speak to them, that Jesus will help them like he's helped others. Do not ever be intimidated by what you see when you meet new people. They may look all together. They may look stronger, smarter. But in every single life, without exception, in every circumstance, there is undeniable faith-crushing need that's looking for hope. And that's why God's brought you across their path. That hope, the hope that they need, the hope that they can hang on to is living in you. I, I was at a conference several years ago, and, and the speaker in the middle of his speaking, stopped and said he felt God prodding him to pray for couples that had been unable to conceive children, but desperately wanted to start a family. And, and, and he said that he felt that in this room that had about 3,000 plus people, he, he felt very certain that there were 35 couples in the room that needed to be prayed for. And he, if they would come forward, he would pray, and he was confident, he was absolutely confident that God would answer. And so he had us all stand, and I was standing in a, in a good spot. I could see the aisles on both sides of the building. And what followed was burned into my brain as perhaps one of the most poignant pictures of people looking for hope. There were men who were racing down the aisle, pulling on their wives towards the aisle. Wives that were afraid to believe because they couldn't stand one more disappointment, piled on the mountains of disappointment that they'd already had to work themselves through. There were women who were pulling their husbands, husbands that were unsure that they would help a woman that they knew how to help the, the woman in their life that wanted to be a mother more than anything else in the world, how would he help her cope if this hope was dashed as well? And then there were couples who, who just heard those words and felt like it was a confirmation that God was speaking now to them and they couldn't wait to experience the fullness of the promises that were being offered. And so they ran towards the front. And before he prayed, the speaker started to just give them some instruction. And, and just before he prayed, the, the pastor of that, that church just came to the front and said, Listen, I've been counting, and there are 70 people standing here, 35 couples. And if God knows that there are 35 couples, then I think we can believe him to answer this prayer. Let's believe, he said. I have no way of following it up, but when I get to heaven, I want to know how many kids came out of that prayer meeting. Hope is a magnet to those who are stuck in hopeless situations. The hope that's in you is a magnet. It's a beacon of light. The narrative of Mark says that the whole town gathered at the door to watch. And so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Jesus did that healing, did that deliverance work because it was part of his mission. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, John says. And, and that same work would, would become the work of those who were watching, those who had been called, come follow me. It would become their work because they believed. And that is the work that you and I are called to do. Mark is so careful to give a, a balanced report and account of the life of Jesus. He not only tells about the crowds and the, the miracles and the signs. But he reveals the secrets of Jesus' strength and his spiritual health. Verse 35 says, 
before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Come, follow me. Do as I do. Learn the secrets of spiritual health. Learn the secrets of the kingdom by watching me and doing as I do. Before the day began, before the crowd started to gather and put demand on his time and on his energy, Jesus gets up and he goes to a place where he and the Father could talk together. Father, today, give me what I need. Give me my daily bread. Show me where we need to go. Tell me what needs to be said. Give me insight into the plans and the purposes that you have for this day. Psalm 119 or Psalm 139 says, Father God, you saw me before I was born. You put purpose in every day of my life. Every day is recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He had put purpose in every day. Father, what is your purpose for today? And, and Jesus understood that there was a divine plan. And each morning he searched and asked God, what is your plan? How do I fulfill your purpose today? Not my will, but your will in this day. I need it to be accomplished and fulfilled through me. In John chapter 17, just moments before Jesus' arrest, Jesus is praying to the Father again, and he says, I've completed everything that you've asked me to do. I have said everything that you have given to me to say. He was able to say that for one reason and one reason alone, and that was because early, before daybreak, every day, Jesus went to an isolated place to pray and say, what is your will for today? There are no shortcuts. There are no free passes. If, if we want to be who Jesus wants us to be, to do the things that we were designed and commissioned to do and to see the will of God done on earth here as it is in heaven, then we need to follow Jesus to the place of prayer. We need to hear the voice of God telling us, this is the path that I have ordered for you today. Walk in it. Carefully follow it. Prayer is an essential. It's an essential thing. The power and the purpose of that prayer is found in the panic that's displayed in Simon. Jesus had snuck out before the rest of them were up. And so when they, arrived, when they arose, the, the followers are all up and out of bed. And they start looking for Jesus. And he's gone missing. And, and the demands of the day are starting to line up in front of Simon's house. And verse 36 says, Later Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. What are you doing out here? We need you back there. And, and Jesus, why are you here alone? We, we have a crowd looking to see you. you. You saw the crowd last night that lined out outside my house. Well, well this morning it's even bigger. The lines are even longer. It's, it's now not just the town that's gathered, but the surrounding towns have come. We've never seen anything like this before. It's growing and we need you to be there now. Everyone is looking for you. One of the most dangerous and destructive attitudes that we can operate under is the lie that says that we are so rich in personality and ability that we can walk into a crowd, walk into need every day on our own and do what we do and that we will always get a good, healthy outcome. That we can do it all on our own without the connection, without the empowerment of, of all that comes out of our connection with the Father. Paul said to the Romans, the very ones who have commissioned him to write this, this gospel. He says, I, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. In me, there's nothing good. 
If anything good comes out of me, he says, it's because God has filled me up. It is in the connection with God in the place of prayer that our attitudes are adjusted. Where our perspective is gained, where where direction is given, where insight is made clear, where the preparation for all of that happens, it's in the place of prayer. If we miss that encounter, if we don't take time to pray, if we don't take time to be in the Word, we can easily cave to the pressure and popularity that comes when we're told that everyone is looking for you. The, the, the pressure of need grows and increases and it never ends. You can work all day, every day, and there will still be a lineup of need out the door and around the block. It's unsustainable if we don't have connection with him. We've laid out seven contact points, seven priorities that we want to concentrate as a church on this year. Pray, pray every day. Be in the word every day. Connect with one another. Encourage one another. Grow in, in knowledge and understanding. Serve and give and, and invite. And, and it isn't a list of, of religious duties. It's a call to maturity. It's an invitation by Jesus. Come, follow me. Do what I do. Do it the way I do it. Next month, Olivia has a connect group on prayer. Next month, Pastor Eric has a, has a group that meets and grows in how to study, how to, how to get the most out of your time in the Bible. Don't miss these incredible opportunities to, to be stronger, to be disciplined in following Jesus. When told that everyone in Capernaum is looking for you, Jesus has an answer. He's not pulled by the crowd. He's, he's focused on what the Father has told him that day. And, and Jesus knows the answer. Jesus knows that what his mar- marching orders are for that day. He has heard them in the isolated place of prayer. And God spoke specifically to him. And he turns to his men and he says, Our time here in this town right now is over. Jesus replied, We, we, we must go to other towns as, as well. And I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Simon, I know that you love your town. I know that you love Capernaum and that you're a great cheerleader for that, for that city. But, but we're not called to, to start and tend a fire here in your town. The Father has purposed to set the entire nation ablaze. We will not be distracted from the purposes of God. We will obey what he asks us. Prayer is an essential to knowing that. As Jesus and his disciples are making their way through that day, another man, another need comes and and kneels right in front of Jesus. There was nothing in that time that was more devastating than a diagnosis of leprosy. It wasn't just a physical malady and difficulty. It was... was so impacting every part of your life. You were forced to leave work. You were forced to leave family. You were forced to, to, to live out in isolation so that your, your disease wouldn't spread. You, 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 it was just devastating, not only physically, but to your mind, your emotions, your spirit. And so with great faith, this, this leper breaks all the rules and comes and kneels in front of Jesus and declares with certainty, if you are willing, I am certain that you can heal me and make me clean if you want to. There's no no doubt in my mind that you have the ability. You are my last and only hope. There is nowhere else to go. I understand that you don't have to answer my request, but I know that you're able to take this disease away from me. Verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Something you're not supposed to do. Reaches out and and touches him. And says the words that the man has been longing to hear. I'm willing. I'm willing. 
be healed. Jesus hears the request, but Mark is careful to record not only that he says yes, but careful to record what's going on in the inside of Jesus. He wants to understand that Jesus not only saw and heard the request, but that the request moved Jesus. Compassion rose up in Jesus. The the dictionary says that compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, and it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering. Jesus saw the man's story and he was moved. He he was sympathetic, he was empathetic, and he was moved by a strong desire to lift off the suffering. Jesus is about a year into his ministry here, and, and he's constantly faced with need. Yesterday, they were lined up outside of Simon's house for the, after the evening meal. This morning, before we've even had breakfast, everyone is looking for you. The momentum is growing. There are crowds, and the demands of need are exponentially growing. All of that can become very old, very tiring, very quickly. Jesus didn't see the leprosy. He, he, he didn't see a number. This is needy person number 236 this week. He saw a man. He understood the man's story. A man who'd lost everything. And, and there arose in Jesus this deep sympathy and sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering. Compassion. I want to tell you a story that I'm not proud of, but I hope that it illustrates for you what happens when we don't have compassion. A number of months ago, Debbie and I, and I think Catherine might have been with us as well, we'd been at work, we'd been downtown, and, and the day had been long, it had been demanding, and we were, we were tired, and we were about to head home. But I needed to come back to the office and pick something up so that I had it at home. And we, we pulled into the parking lot, and a precariously housed gentleman had built a shower, shelter using two shopping carts, some tarp, some cardboard, and goodness knows what else was there. And he'd set up camp for the night right in front of the front doors. I needed to get in. Because of where we're located, that's not an unusual thing to happen. But that night, I must have been overtired and under-equipped with compassion. Most often, I'm I'm easy to chat kindly and helpfully, but, but that night, there was no compassion. I was in my car and I just honked the horn a lot. I wanted him to know I'm frustrated. I'm in a hurry. I can't get to my office because you've set up camp right in front of the door and you need to move and you need to move quickly. No compassion. I didn't see his story. I didn't care about his plight. I was only aware of what I wanted and how I wanted it to unfold and how I wanted it to unfold quickly. And Jesus has been working on my story and has been working on my ability to be compassionate ever since. And Jesus will say in Mark, I didn't come to be served to have people jump up and run after me and run after what I want. I came to serve. I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came compassionately, compassionately to alleviate suffering. It's easy to have the pressure of people and the needs of people turn your heart sour and make you apathetic or, or harden your hearts. 
But it's not the way that Jesus taught and trained his followers to operate and to respond. Come, follow me. See people like I see them. Love people like I love them. Have compassion arise in you. Again, the adjustment happens in the place of prayer and, and being confronted by the word. As we go through the gospel of Mark, be sure to watch, be sure to underline the reactions that Jesus has towards people. People in need, he responds to them with compassion. The the only people that Jesus struggles with are the religious people who have lost the heart of God and are crushing others under the weight of rules and regulations and expectations, ignoring their story that stands behind the need. People who long since lost their compassion. Come, follow me. Learn to see, learn to respond, learn to react like I do with Compassion, Jesus says. And so Jesus says to the man, I'm willing to heal you. Be healed. And the word that I told you to watch for last week is here again. Instantly, sometimes referred to as at once or immediately. But instantly, the leprosy disappears from the man's skin. No delay. The skin that was destroyed and rotting in one moment, in that next moment, is repaired and new. And and you couldn't even believe that it's the same person. Instantly. Instantly. There was a very well spelled out protocol in the Old Testament. When you had had leprosy, there was an expectation that God could, whether he would or not was left to question. But if he did, there was a protocol that you went to the priest and you allowed the priest to examine you carefully and you had to present a specific offering at the temple and then he would be placed back into his home and his family. And Jesus said to him, make sure that that you follow the laws of Moses, that you speak to no one, that you let the priest see what has happened and let those protocols in place make your testimony known. But don't speak to anybody. How hard is it for you to keep a happy secret? How hard is it to keep really good news locked down? Life-changing news. How hard is it for you who, who have suffered greatly and struggled with pain and discomfort, and yet you have found hope, you found healing, and, and on your way to the synagogue, you see others who need and, and, and hurt, and, and your hope overflows, and you can't keep the hope to yourself, and you share it to everyone. Verse 45, but when the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened as a result, a large crowd soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places because people from everywhere kept coming to him. We're we're in a world that longs, is hungry, is thirsty for hope. The the, the former leper couldn't keep it to himself. He proclaimed it to everyone. And they recognized him and were inspired and motivated by his story. And they ran with their troubles to the man with the solutions. And pretty quickly, a large crowd surrounded Jesus and made it impossible for him to carry on a normal life. It made finishing meals impossible because of the crowds. It made sleeping the night through almost impossible because people would stand outside your house and talk loudly. I wonder when he's getting up. In order to function, Jesus had to go to secluded places, had to find ways at the end of each day where he could rest, where he could encounter the presence of God in a new way for the next day. He could not afford to break the rhythm of connection with God so that he had resource to be moved by compassion when he walked into the middle of the crowd. In order to function, he had to stay in secluded places. If you have an answer to need, people will come. 
what was the movie, Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. If you have an answer, they will come. Hope has a momentum. It, it, it has a draw. It has a pull. We have a nice crowd here this morning and probably a good size uh, audience online. But if Jesus were to pick three people, one out of each section this morning, and heal them, next Sunday there would be no one watching online. Every seat would be filled. And there would be a line out the door and around the corner. Because need is drawn to hope. Always. Always. Momentum is a force that grows. It, it gathers strength. Think of a, a snow, small snowball that, that is made on the top of the hill. And, and you start to roll it towards the edge of the hill. And, and, and at first it's awkward. It's, it's difficult. But as it grows, there's, as weight is added, it, it starts to go down the hill and gathers speed. And the weight carries it all the way down. And it's momentum. And the promise of Scripture is this, in the last days I will pour out of my Spirit. This outpouring will affect your sons and your daughters. It doesn't matter where they are now. You will find them standing in a place of spiritual strength and understanding, declaring the power, the mercy, the forgiveness, and the strength of the Lord. Get ready. Men who are young will have clear, certain vision of what God wants to do in the here and the now, and they will spend their life energy making it happen. Men who are older and have long dreamed, faith-filled dreams of what they want to see God do will see fulfillment of those dreams in this day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the most unlikely candidates in your world will call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved and transformed. It will be a season of unprecedented hope and release of the power and the presence of God. And it will change the way that you see and that you understand church. We're on the cusp of that right now. You are being and will be transformed. And the hope that is put in you will attract people in need who are looking for the very hope that you now have in you. But today, here... Right now, in this place, Jesus is saying to you, saying to me, come, follow me. Set aside time where, where we can be isolated and I can adjust and transform you from being a, a, a gatherer of fish to make you a gatherer of people. Allow me to train you how to, how to survive need, how to deal with people. Allow me to adjust your heart, remove doubt and fear, and fill it with compassion and with faith. Come, follow me. Debbie, will you come? I want to quickly bring three things to your attention this morning that I want you to wrestle with this week. If you have a pen, maybe take it out and just, just write these down. The first is, is elementary, but it's so vital. You're not here by accident. You're here in the divine plan of God as, an inten as intentional as Jesus was in going to the shore of the lake that's called Galilee and, and him finding Simon and Andrew and calling James and John. He has intentionally come. He's intentionally called you to serve and to follow him in the here and the now. You are not here by accident. I break off the lie that states that you are something less, someone not important, somehow a spectator in all that God is wanting to do in this time. That's a lie and I break it off. The kingdom of God is not made up of a few superstars with a studio audience who passively watches and cheers at appropriate times. The kingdom of God is a team, activity, and a participation mission and you have been chosen by God to be here and to be intimately involved. Hear me. Church, hear me. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how new in Christ you are. 
It doesn't matter. Hear me. You are here in his purpose. Any other voice or any other message is a lie and a deception. And God has you here because he has important work for you to do. Not only are you here with a purpose, but secondly, you are here to be empowered. I asked this a couple of Sundays back, how many here are believers, are followers of Jesus, and hands went up everywhere, and, and that's good, I'm happy for that. But here's the norm for believers. When you encounter demonic strongholds, you have both the power and the authority to destroy those strongholds, just like Jesus. And when you come in contact with need that is outside your understanding or experience, you don't know exactly what to do, God will give you the language to speak hope and healing to people in need. And when the enemy sees that you're becoming a threat and rises up and threatens to crush, threatens to destroy you, God will give you the ability to outlive, outlast, outmaneuver your enemy. When, when, when the devil attempts to destroy you, he will not be s successful. Every weapon formed against you will not, cannot prosper. When you encounter sickness of any kind and every type, you are asked, are you willing to help me? The heart in you that has been touched and transformed by God himself, the heart that is filled with compassion will respond, be healed. And you will see the sick recover. That should have got a bigger amen, but that's okay. The... That's the kingdom norm and the only requirement is that we have been transformed in his presence and that we believe in who he is and believe that he has called us to do his work. This is the kingdom norm. Here's something that I have started to do recently. I've been memorizing this scripture and as I prepare for what God has for us as a church in the very near future. I, I've been preparing my heart, my mind. I, I've been adjusting my attitudes and, and, and making room for this. But I start to prophesy over my life what Jesus prophesied in a synagogue over his life. The spirit of the living Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's now. It's now. It's now. Get that into your spiritual muscle memory. Get that into your daily expectation. Allow it to build you strong so that you can believe. And believing you can act. Finally, the secrets of Jesus are plain here in the first chapter. His strength, his, his ability, his authority came out of knowing God. Emerged out of finding a place where he could encounter God before the day began and before the needs in the crowd pushed God to the back of his agenda. It's a kingdom principle. If you're faithful in the small, seemingly insignificant things, then God will release you and increase your responsibility and your ability beyond anything that you thought was possible. In this, the first week of February, if you haven't joined us in the seven areas of growth and maturity, it's, it's not too late. We've been going at it since September, but you can jump in now. Why don't you crack open the Bible every day this week? If you don't know where to start, why don't you start where we are right now? Start in Mark. Read until something touches your heart. Tuesday's a day of prayer and fasting. Tomorrow, the, the prayer focus on, on moving forward will be sent out to all of you through email. If we don't have your email and you want that, will you... Will you write it out and hand it to this lady in the, in the front row? We'll make sure you get it. But, but why don't you 
join us? Why, why not say, this is the month that I join my church in praying? March is going to see our connect groups start. There are ones for men, there are ones for women, ones for prayer, ones on Bible study, ones on getting your finances in order, one in Strathmore. Can I just put a bracket here? There's some good things happening in Strathmore. We we have we had a great team, we have a smaller team, but we're seeing and we're building a team from people who didn't believe. And they're finding belief. It's pretty exciting. I, I like staff meetings, but I love when we get the Strathmore report. Here's something I want you to pray for. I want you to pray that we find a building. We need a building in Strathmore. Start where you're at. Start with being faithful in the small, the personal things. Watch for God to promote and to provide, to teach, to grow, to mature you. I want you to stand. I want my prayer team to come and stand across the front. Stand right now, please. I'm pretty excited about what God's doing. Oh, man, how did I get here already? I'm pretty excited about what God's doing in our, in our church, what he's doing in us and through us and to us. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to need you, Davey, to come. Abiola and Ella, come. You're here this morning. And um, there's that lie that has said you're not part of what God's doing. You're not important. You're not, you're not plugged in. You're not going to be plugged in. I, I want you to come and ask somebody to pray with you and to break that off. You're, you're not in a place where you're disciplined in the Word or in prayer and you just need a bit of inspiration, a bit of a push. You come and ask them to pray over you. You're, you're frustrated with where you are right now, and I don't want you to be frustrated. I want you to be so full of expectation and excitement that you can't wait to see what Jesus does next. There, there's a dryness in, in your spirit, and, and you don't know how to be refreshed. God seems far away. I, I want you to come and just have someone agree with you in prayer that walls will be knocked down, doors will be opened, the presence of God comes rushing in. I'm going to count to three, and if any of that affects you, you come. Don't, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. You come. We, we want to pray. We're a family here. We care. We, we're concerned. It, it matters to us where you're at, what's going on. One, two, three. Come. Come. Don't wait. Just come.